Hello, listeners. It's time once again for Maya, my yoga audio. I wanted to remind everyone of some exciting news that we do have a YouTube channel live right now. So you can go and check that out in our show notes and see the links on Instagram and on the website. And and another exciting update, we are in over 20 countries right now. We're being listened to around the world, and I want to welcome everybody globally who's been listening to this show. So please continue to share and tune in with friends and family and those who might appreciate it. And today, we're back for another live interview, and I have a guest today who's with us from South Africa. Her name is Hule Gobodo, also known as the Love Activist, and she creates digital content for the purpose of creating shared healing experiences. So whether it's through her newly launched web series, Conversations with a Love Activist, she also contributes to podcasts, Important Conversation, and speaks on topics and tools around self-love, self-care, and personal growth. She tells personal stories that heal. Hule is a certified birth doula, owns a storytelling agency called Brainbow Conscious Creatives. She's a filmmaker, a speaker, and a blogger. As a mother, a wife, and a rape survivor, she knows how unhealed wounds can adversely affect not just your life, but the lives of your loved ones. She started her journey to self-awareness and consciousness in 2010 after suffering a nervous breakdown. So Conversations with a Love Activist is a candid 12-part personal documentary web series with her. This series charts her personal heroine's journey towards healing and wholeness that was inspired by the coronavirus and the lockdown and the strain, the toll that that took on her mental health. And in this series, she invites wise women to join her, including her mother, her life coach, and her spiritual healer, who all help equip her with culturally relevant practical self-love tools to share with others. She strives to provide culturally relevant and practical self-love tools for African women to thrive. And she hopes to start important conversations around healing trauma, healing the feminine, womb wounding, healing from racism and prejudice, and awakening to each of our own authentic powers. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, that was a mouthful. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, wow. You do so much. So I could, there's a lot more that I could have said, and hopefully I didn't butcher your name too badly if you want to say it for all of us, just to make sure people hear correctly how it's supposed to be <laughs> pronounced. That would be lovely. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So my name is... So I'm from the Tosa tribe, the same tribe Mandela's from. That's what I always say, so that you can kind of place me. And yeah, so in my language, we have a lot of clicks. So uh, C is pronounced as a K. And <laughs> I was actually thinking back when I lived in Florence, there would be certain people who would try to bother you and try to distract you while they're kind of pickpocketing you. So what I would say to them is, which means 
you are all up in my grill and it's like you're sizzling me in a pan. If you're going to start with me, you better be able to finish me. So <laughs> my yes. language has helped me in many circumstances. <laughs> That is fantastic. And you know what I forgot to do? Normally, I always talk about how I meet each guest. And since you mentioned Florence, that's a great segue to that. We met each other through Misty Evans, who you, who's the author. And I think she's going to be coming on the show eventually, too. But we met through Instagram when I was asking people who they thought I should connect with, who would be a great guest on the show to talk about awareness and healing and prejudice. And she mentioned you. So that was a great connection. Now that I've read her book and you're in her book too, because you went to school together. So that's how we met through the author Misty Evans. And here we are today. So I wanted to start by asking you, what does being a love activist mean to you? And what got you started on your heroine's journey? For a long time, I've identified as a love activist. And this all started in 2010 when I came back from studying in Florence, Italy, where I met Misty, who we were doing our post back together. I had hoped that going to Italy and getting this qualification would validate me in some way. And I came back and felt more lost than ever before. And I just... Yeah, I had a lot of trouble kind of getting to grips with who am I, what am I here for, what am I doing? And a lot of that came from the fact that my mom is a very prestigious businesswoman in South Africa. So my mom is the first black female chartered accountant in the country and has gone to do many amazing, incredible things. And I always felt the weight of that, of the bigness and the big personality that she is. And so when I came back from Florence and I didn't kind of have a direction or a plan, (laughs) I crumbled. And in the crumbling, my mom actually was my saving grace. And she gave me this book called A Road Less Traveled by Dr. Scott Peck. One of the big shifts that happened for me with that book was if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And for the first time, I was confronted with my victimhood, which I had never been confronted with before. And I'd been very much comfortable in sipping that tea of I'm a victim of either my industry or my blackness, whatever was the flavor of the month at that point in time. And that book got me into then reading other books like A Return to Love. And that's where then everything changed for me when I read A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson, which is a book on the reflections of A Course in Miracles, which will ruin your life if you do it in the best way. (laughs) (laughs) I have some experience with that too. Okay. I agree. So we... understand what is happening because as you read the book then all these things come up right so one of the lines in the book is forgiveness offers everything that you want and see the innocence in your brother oh the see the innocence was (laughs) fun fun activity but one that really changed my life to go if I approach a person with love first it changes the vibration of our interaction. 
And I saw it in real time. At the time, I was living with my mom and me and my brother were living under one roof and we were fighting nonstop, like nonstop, three times a day even. And I remember in A Return to Love, see the innocence in your brother. And I was like, okay, this guy's not giving me much to work with in terms of seeing the innocence, but <laughs> let us try the loving approach, love demands. And every time a triggering situation would happen, I'd go, my brother is the most loving brother you've ever met in your life. He uses loving words when he talks to me, even though at the moment he is not. I will not engage with his insanity. I will engage with his call for love in this moment. And two weeks of doing that, uh, my brother walks in with a tray of breakfast that he's made. And he's like, I just wanted to tell you that I love you so much and I appreciate you. And it hit me at that point that we actually hadn't fought in two weeks straight. We had not had one fight So I was like, this love thing, maybe there's something to this. And that's where my kind of love activism journey began. It's been a long one. And in 2020 is when I think it really got crystallized because I'd been preaching, love yourself, fill your cup. Don't be out here filling other people's cups. But that's what I was doing. I was constantly reaching out for validation with my clients, with my husband, with my daughter, with my mom, and expecting other people to fill this void of my low self-worth. And when we're all locked down in one house and then we had no business for a year and all the things that I had been using to validate myself had been taken away. And then as COVID does, then it was back-to-back COVID deaths, three in one week. And I was like, I cannot. I'm not okay. Yeah, I'm not okay. And a small voice said to me, self-soothe. You need to find a way to self-soothe. And that's when I act, when I really became a love activist because then I directed all the love to myself for once instead of other people. That's huge. You brought up so many big things there, you know, it's like all those real, I mean, any one of those things is a huge shift in life. And I'm kind of marveling at the fact that you and I just, just clicked now when you talked about the year 2010, you and Misty and I were all going to grad school at the same time in different countries, Wow! but interesting that we were, and, and it was the same thing, like, oh, once I get this, everything will be fine. And it definitely wasn't. It was a huge instigator of change in my life too. But same thing. I thought, well, when I get to the end of that, then I'll be set. You know, I'll know what I'm supposed to do. And anyhow, I wanted to ask you a little bit more because you brought up your mom and what a powerful influence she's been in your life and, and in her own life, you know, making huge strides and waves in South Africa. And I've watched a few episodes of your Love Activist series. I love it. I, I feel like I'm I'm sitting in a therapy session, and sometimes we are for each one. But I wanted you to tell us about your council of wombs that you work with in each of your episodes and in your personal development. And just tell us more about who they are and and how did you choose to work with each of these women? Your mom seems a bit self-evident, but I just love the the different types of women they are. And like, obviously, your mom is your mom, but how you met your life coach and your spiritual healer. As much as I heard this beautiful voice that said self-soothe, 
I was like, okay, how? <laughs> I don't know how to do that. And so the follow-up to that was get people who know. Find people that you know and take them on the journey with you. Because a big part of starting conversations with a love activist is that I always found that when I watch, you know, Oprah telling her story about how she became Oprah, I felt so disconnected or I always wished to have seen her before she was Oprah, before she was a big deal and she was scrambling like the rest of us. I wish I had seen that part to believe that, okay, then I can get to this part. And so for me, a big part of conversations with a love activist was, let me share myself in the mess while I'm messy and raw and I don't know what's happening. I don't know what the heck I'm doing so that people can go, oh, okay, she's just like me. She's struggling in this area just like me. She's trying to find her way and she's been smart enough to go, okay, you've walked this journey, Goko Sophia. You've walked this journey, Shannon Pam. Walk with me, teach me and help me to equip myself with the tools that other people can then also interpret in a practical way. So as much as it's self-evident, I chose my mom because of the fact that she has been on this consciousness journey herself, which is not usual for African mothers. Most African mothers in my mother's age group are Christian women. You do not do new age, new age, and the devil and new age things. You know, and my mom... And I come from a very pastoral family. I have pastors and apostles in my family. And so for my mom, to watch my mom um, lose everything. So she she lost all her businesses. We were all living in one house with 14 people and rats. And it was just a, a very hectic time. And my mom in that moment went, there has to be more than this to life. And she started talking to rabbis and imams and other people to go, what are you guys doing over there? You know, it can't just be that Christians have the answer and Jesus is the only way. There has to be more to life than that. God can't be that small or contained in just one experience. And so watching her find her journey and her her spirituality is one of the biggest reasons why I invited her so that I could show to my viewers who look like me that you're allowed to explore. You're allowed to explore outside of your religion. And also an important part was the fact that me and my mom had both confronted our mother wounds, which was a big, big thing for both of us. So my mom had a mother wound with her mom and I had a big, huge gigantic mother wound with my mom because my love language is quality time and most of my childhood my mom was out building businesses so there was no quality time and so I grew up believing that my mom didn't love me my mom didn't see me and didn't care about me and so the fact that I could build this platform where we could both heal our mother wounds and share that healing with others to go It's okay to acknowledge the elephant in the room that "Mm, your mom has hurt you and you have hurt her and this is how you guys can heal was a big reason why, okay, I chose my mom to be part of this journey. And then I realized that, so me and my husband got married in 2019 in October and then lockdown. So as much as we've 
we've been together for for seven years. Our marriage was very young when lockdown happened, and as we all know, we all know the the lockdown COVID divorce stats that started to emerge as a result of lockdown. And so I'm like, we need coaching. <laughs> we need couples coaching <laughs> so that we make it <laughs> past. COVID. <laughs> and so I had found Shannon Pan actually in another way because I, there's a conscious dating show that I've developed. And she was one of the relationship coaches that was going to be on the, on the dating show. And so I was like, I need you for myself <laughs> in my own personal life. And I'll be honest, when I decided to incorporate the coaching part, the couple's coaching part of the show, I was like, we're fine. We like each other most of the time. And <laughs> I, I think it's been the biggest aha shift learning going through couples coaching with my husband. I've just been like, I actually didn't know anything about you <laughs> or, or how you communicate. I didn't know. Yo, we learned. Oh, we learned so much. Like literally fights that we've been having for seven years got resolved in one session. I kid wow. you not. So that's how we got to work with Shannon Pam, which also inspired my husband is also working on his own version of conversations with a love activist called Unmanned, where he charts his own journey of and dismantling toxic masculinity for himself. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Did you say it's called Unmanned? Actually, unman. So unman, unlearn, unpack. Oh, what, okay, okay. What masculinity is, and because you know, he talks a lot about the fact that he went to a boys' school in Zimbabwe, and he's like, a lot of the things we were taught were quite predatory in nature. And now, when you are with a partner, you're like none of the tools I have work. <laughs> they they mean absolutely nothing when it comes to actually building a real relationship with someone, and so. He's like, hmm, I'm sure I'm not the only man going through this. <laughs> so, yeah. So he'll be going through that journey with Shannon Pam and other coaches as well as they have unpacked these conversations. So that's Shannon. And then Gogo Sophia. Gogo Sophia is a Sangoma, which is a traditional healer. I met her in film school, actually. So we met in film school. She wasn't a Sangoma then. She was just a filmmaker, just like me. Oh, nice. <laughs> and we were not friends at all until we both started then our consciousness journey and we kind of reconnected through that. She specializes in, uh, or she's very much gifted or being given the gift of dealing with feminine wounding and healing the divine feminine. And so because I'm a rape survivor and also had a very traumatic abortion and two miscarriages, oh, sorry, miscarriage of twins, there's a lot sitting in my womb space. And so I thought as part of this journey of conversations with Elavid, because a lot of, of that got inflamed so I don't know if this happened in America, but in South Africa, with lockdown, there was a huge rise in gender-based violence here in South Africa. And that then inflamed my undealt with 
all of the things I just mentioned. All of that was like, hello, hi, you need to talk to us. You need to... Up close. (laughs) You need to deal with us. And I was like, okay, I know Gogo is the best person that I can walk that journey with so that I heal from the deepest place and go through that with her. So we decided to then do a womb mapping series where we map the four quadrants of the womb, which deal with different things. And that that was also another, like, I mean, I knew because I know Gogo. And the reason why she's called Gogo Sophia or Sangomas, basically, when they go through their initiation, their guides or their ancestors name them. That's why they're called Gogo, because it's not just referring to this person that you're seeing in the physical. It's referring to, so Gogo is grandmother in, in African languages. So it's referring to not just her, but her and her ancestors that guide her in the process of her healing work. Oh, that's beautiful. It it, it really is. And, wow, and powerful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's important for listeners to, to understand that. I'm really big on the, the naming in a, a previous episode we recorded last week, and the guest was naming her ancestors who had difficult you know, pronunciation of their names, and it's been partially erased by history. And I, I feel like it's important to to bring that and to understand that lineage. And what I love so much about your Council of Wombs is you recognizing that you couldn't do this alone. And I think, I don't know if it's the same in, in South Africa, but I feel like in North America, I lived in Canada most of my life and then moved to the U.S. seven years ago. But I feel like there's an American, a North American thing, like I have to do this all alone. I don't, I can't admit to having, you know, a mental health breakdown. I can't admit that I'm not okay. And I just have to figure out how to be okay with what has happened to me. And then we push it down instead of working it out. So I love the fact that you're like, no, I need a team of people to help me get through this. And we're going to address different things together. And this is what is, is the most helpful. And I, in your episode from last November, where you confronted and healed the mother wounds with your mother on the conversations with a love activist. And there's this one line that really stuck out to me, which was, I can't expect other people to understand me if I don't understand myself. And I feel like the work that you're doing, right, with your council of wounds, with all the therapy, even the couples therapy, all of that, like you said, there's like a seven-year argument you've been having. And it's like, oh, well, now that I've had somebody else come in and like help us to see another person's perspective, you can solve that. And I feel like that applies to the self. Does that come up over and over again? Are there lessons you, you kind of learn over and over again? Or are you finding it to be more revelatory? In the past, I used to merry-go-round quite often. But Mm -hmm. since focusing on self-love, I must say my bounce-back game is, like, (laughs) much better. You know, uh, there's an episode where Shannon Pam talks about the emotional refractory period, which is that, that period of time when you're triggered. And that's the goal of counseling or any kind of therapy is to shorten that refractory period. And I'm finding that since I've consciously focused on loving myself, that period is much shorter because I'm much kinder towards myself in the way that I experience my mistakes. I take less time in the, oh, crap, I 
oh, there I go again, making the same mistake. Now I have the language to be much kinder to myself, to go, this is just part of the journey and it's okay that this is coming up. It's coming up so that I can take a closer look at it and maybe see it from another angle and come at it from another place. And so I don't circle as much because I don't expect myself to know everything. Because now I have these places I can reach out to and go, I actually do not know what I'm doing. Please help me. (laughs) There's an African philosophy called Ubuntu. Ubuntu directly translates to Umtu, and Umtu is a person. So Ubuntu is a philosophy that says, I am because you are. And it's a philosophy on oneness. But a lot of the time, it's been misinterpreted to say, put yourself aside for others. When in fact, what it's saying is, you need to fill yourself up so you can be for others, so that you can show up as the best version of yourself for others. And for you to do that, you need to be able to reach out to other people. You need to reach out to a Megan and say, hey, to me, I'm actually struggling. I'm quite triggered at the moment. Can we just do that breathing exercise you talked about in that post because I'm not okay? And, and that's what Ubuntu, It Takes a Village, is all about. Let, let's actually use the village. Let's not just say it takes a village. Let's reach out to the village and use the village to love ourselves better. Taking action, right? As you said, not just saying it or like posting a nice quote <laughs> about actually and cultivating that relationship. I feel like that's important too, right? Like if somebody's a friend and they're genuinely your friend, then they want to help you out and they find that few minutes to breathe with you because you need that help. That's that's really important. In that same episode, you and your mother discussed taking responsibility for your own healing from racism and taking back your power individually through finding your authentic self. And I was most curious about that because that was the post that Misty had like brought you to my attention to about like, this is somebody you need to talk to about that. So I wanted to ask you how you go about doing that and how can others learn to? I mean, it's, it's a big thing in the US. It's a big, huge thing in South Africa too. I feel like it's around the world. So what are some of the tools and, and things that you use to get through that? So I grew up in Upper Date, South Africa. In fact, I grew up in what was called a Bantu stand. So what the Upper Date government did was divide up the country and says, Tosas are going to live in this piece of land in this place. Zulus live here, vendors live here, and divided up 12% of the country amongst 90% of the population. And said, then we, as the white people, will live in South Africa. So I lived in what was called Transkai. So I actually needed a passport when I had to come to Johannesburg. <laughs> I, I had, uh, yes, I had my own little passport. And then in 1994, we voted for the first time. We actually just celebrated our version of Independence Day a few, few weeks ago, which was the day that Black people are allowed to vote in 1994, which was on the 27th of April. So then we moved to Johannesburg in 1997. And so I was among the first generation of children who were 
now allowed to go into previously white-only schools, which are called Model C schools. Now, these spaces were not prepared, nor did they make provisions for our blackness <laughs> in the space. We must come in and assimilate. There wasn't an effort to basically incorporate us into the space. So a lot of microaggressions and big aggressions were experienced in my schooling experience, which is why when the Black Lives Matter movement really gained a lot of momentum after George Floyd was murdered, that brought up all of that that I had not dealt with. It actually came up in a strange way because lockdown happened and then I had to do homeschooling with my daughter. And I found myself overly aggressive and overly impatient with her. And I was like, where is this actually coming from? And I realized it was all the microaggressions I absorbed in my schooling experience of having to try to disappear within a system that wasn't prepared for me. And I realized, okay, I need to actually deal with with this. (laughs) I need to actively heal my wounds with racism. I realized I can't wait for white South Africa to say sorry, because that's not going to happen. There's still a lot of, guys, apartheid was not that bad language in South Africa. Or, guys, it happened 20 years ago, get over it language. There's a lot of that, get over it, it wasn't that hectic, it wasn't that bad language in South Africa. And I was like, okay, if I am to take responsibility for my own healing, I cannot wait for my white brothers and sisters to see that they have hurt me or that they grew up in a very racist system or a system that that privileged them. It's not going to happen. I need to find a way to give myself the affirmations I'm hoping the sorry will give me, right? Because what we want is to be seen. So because Gogo is in the, Gogo Sophia, my traditional healer, is in the wellness space, the wellness space is also a very white space in South Africa and all over the world. And so she finds herself being a drop in an ocean a lot of the time when she's having conversations. And she's saying that her guides, her ancestors are, prompting her to really deal with racism. And she was saying that what her guides and her ancestors are saying is that racism is a relationship problem. That's what racism actually is, is that we basically need a relationship counseling as black people and white people to go, yes, we didn't treat ourselves with the love we each deserved, but how do we do that now? How do we find a way to be in relationship with one another. And so that's what I had to do for myself is to go, okay, how do I find a way to relate to white people in a way that is loving and but doesn't take away from myself and my experience? And it's an ongoing process. But the moment I took the power back of saying, I'm not going to wait for you to see me. I'm going to see myself. I'm going to value myself. You will find me on the road today. You will find me on the road to valuing myself. You'll find me on the road to seeing myself. But me expecting you to see me first is problematic because then it puts me in a waiting room 
it takes away my power to say that I can only be valuable as much as white people see my value. And that that is not the case. And that is not true. And so, like I'm saying, it's an ongoing process, but it's been such a liberating one because it's taken me out of the victimhood seat. And it's not to say that I haven't had very real racist experiences. Of course I have. I grew up in apartheid South Africa, 1,000%. But it's to say I, I, can't, I can't wait for you to choose me. I have to choose myself. And hopefully in choosing myself, our relationship can, can be mended in that way. Yeah. The waiting room analogy is really, really poignant because you're right. It puts you in a, in a holding pattern. When I think about it that way and visualize that, like if you're constantly waiting for that validation, then it takes away action from you too. Like you're not only relying on the actions of others, but it also puts you in a holding pattern. And I, something really powerful you said at the end of, there was an episode you did with Gogo Sophia about healing sexual shame and igniting your creative fire. And one of the things you said in that episode was, I realized I had to stop outsourcing my safety to other people. And I think it was in the context of addictive behaviors, but also in terms of dealing with people, relationships, past experiences. Can you tell us more about that? I feel like that's a um, related to what you were just saying and another really powerful quote. That actually is the seven-year fight that me and my husband have been having. And I didn't know that's the fight that we were having. The fight would go like this. My sisters would say, hey, let's go out to, to dinner. Or let's have a girls' night out. And then my husband would go, okay, please just keep me in the loop about where you're, you're at and what time you're going to be home. And then I would get very, very drunk in the girls' night out and come home way later than I had said we're coming home, right? And so I would think that the fight is about you're trying to control my movements and you don't want me to have fun. And then when we had a session with Shannon Pam, we spoke about the fact that Quentin uses cognitive empathy to engage with, with a conflict, and I use emotional empathy to engage with a, um, with a conflict. And so when we're engaging, we're kind of communicating past each other because I shut down because he wants a logical explanation as to A, B, C, D. And I tried then to emotionally protect myself and I shut down and which triggers him to prod me even more. And then we're in the cycle. And so when we were in the couple's coaching, it came up that Quentin has a big need for safety. And I have a big need for connection. And often that's what we're actually fighting about is that I'm trying to meet my connection needs and he is trying to meet his safety need. Now that we had this language around this issue, I then realized that, oh, when I'm out, all of Quentin's safety alarm bells are out. And about. And we live in South Africa. Unfortunately, our rape stats are off the roof. Women get attacked in Ubers all the time in this country. It's just a mess. And so 
the outsourcing quote actually came from Quentin that why are you okay to outsource your safety? Why is your safety not your number one priority? And I realized it was actually a self-love thing. It was a, I'm not worth being safe. My life is not precious enough to me to keep it safe. And so it's okay for me to get blackout drunk when I'm out with my sisters and my safety must just become someone else's problem. And if something happens to me, it's not that big of a deal because I don't see myself as that big of a deal. I don't see that if I was taken out of the equation of my family, that that would be a big loss, right? Whereas in Quentin's like, if you're not in this family, it will fall apart. And so I realized that actually that was a self-love fight that we were having. Quentin was saying, why can't you see how valuable you are to us? That we want you to be safe. Why would you outsource keeping such a valuable asset to this family to somebody else? Because I didn't see myself as this incredible asset to my family. Until I started being very conscious about loving myself. That is when I was able to go, hmm, I cannot outsource my safety to other people because I'm then outsourcing my life to other people. And what does that mean? I can't outsource my life. I need to love my life. My life needs to be this exciting, exuberant, vibrant thing that I'm excited about, not something I can just throw away in a drunk and driving accident, which is where I was headed, basically. So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. It totally does. I mean, that's that's another you've put you've put out so many huge revelations that I think listeners can really learn from and like triggering us in a good way to think about our behaviors differently, right? Because it's it is very acceptable to go out and do that here, just like it is there. And it's I you know, I'd be lying if I said I never did that in my life either, right? And I've never ever thought about it in those terms, but that's a really powerful self-respect, self-healing tool, you know, for your own self, but yeah, in the context of your family, in the context of your friends, in the context of your community, like you, you are, we all are these important figures. And if you think about it in that way, it kind of has, it causes you to have a different, I think a different level of self-respect and self-care, you know, self-love. That's huge. In that same episode with Gogo Sophia, there's a few. I'm not sure if we'll be able to get to all of them because I want to ask you about your upcoming project too. But I wanted to ask you about one more thing. What are some of the things you do to practice staying rooted in yourself when you're processing difficult emotions from past trauma? So as you mentioned, it's like your environment isn't always safe. You're ongoing through healing of traumas that you've been through and things are going to be triggering sometimes. So when they come up, and even though you've said you spin less, you're less in the merry-go-round, but I would imagine things come up time to time. What are some of the practices that you've learned you could share with listeners about grounding yourself back down into you, into earth, into your family, you know, where you feel safe? For me, one of my biggest tools in my arsenal is the teachings of Abraham Hicks. I don't know if you know Mm. Abraham Hicks, but basically the law of attraction says that your emotions are your navigation system. 
And what they usually do is they alert you to a belief that is contrary to what the biggest part of you believes. So, for example, when I'm experiencing self-doubt or overwhelm, overwhelm is a big one for me and self-doubt. It's saying that what Tule believes she is capable of creating and what source energy believes are at odds. Source is going, oh, so you think you can't create a beautiful, incredible life for yourself. That's not the information I have as the bigger part of you. And knowing that that's what my emotions are has helped me a huge deal because then I can engage with them instead of trying to avoid dealing with them. I can go, oh, what is this overwhelm notifying me to? What is this low self-worth feeling notifying me to? Because I, I used to struggle a lot with seeking out validation, I'd, I'd burden my clients with that validation. <laughs> I'd burden my clients a lot with, it's their job to make me feel good by saying, well done, here's a gold star for the work that you have done. And when I don't get that, whew, I would go into the biggest, deepest shame spiral that, yeah, would be very difficult to get out of. But ever since really getting and understanding what the law of attraction is about, now I look at the shame spiral in a different way to go, oh, wait a minute. Oh, so you're... You're reminding me that I still am outsourcing my self-love to a client, to whom, whomever. And in this moment, I need to stop and find a way to get back to myself. So whether that's going outside to my little garden and touching flowers and smelling flowers, which is a big one for me because it helps me especially if I'm smelling them, it helps me to breathe deep. It's like tricking my brain to do some deep breathing because I'm trying to get that, that fragrance of that jasmine into my body and into my lungs. That's a big, quick one for me. Another one is making myself a really good meal. That preparation of that meal helps me to go, okay, I'm in the shame spiral because I've outsourced loving myself. How can I love myself? Oh, I can make myself a really nice meal right now. That can be a really nice way to say, hi, Tule, you are valuable. Look at the cute little sandwich that I've made for us because I love us and I know we like this. Um. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, yeah, just... For me, it's about small things. It's I'm not a, a, a believer in like, oh, I'm just going to go out and meditate for 15 minutes. At that time, I, I won't have the time because it's in between Skype calls and client this and all of that. But small little ways, like just going to go pick a, a jasmine and holding it while I'm crafting that email and constantly smelling it is a small but powerful way to get me back into my body and just calm my nervous system down. But yeah, like I'm saying, knowing what my emotions are has been the biggest arsenal in my toolbox to not avoid them, but 
to engage them and then be able to go, okay, I can find a better feeling place because I know what you actually are. I love that. I can find a better feeling place because I know what's coming up right now. And you can deal with that in these small ways. That's that's huge. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's going to help people. And I have to agree with you on all of those. I've tried them all, maybe not as consciously as you, but the making of a meal for sure. That's It could be anything. It could be like a snack with crackers, but it could also be something really elaborate. Like what does your yourself need at that time, right? To feel soothed. And I wanted to to switch to a big thing. We've been talking about little tips that can help us feel better, but I wanted to switch back to some of the exciting things you're doing in the world. Our, um, our last conversation, I'll let listeners know, we meant to have Clay on the show a few months ago, actually, and she's a birth doula. So she had a client go into labor. So we had to postpone um, until she had some room in her schedule. And she's just completed, right, a very big project. I wondered if you would tell us about that and where listeners can, we'll, we'll put all the links to your Instagram and to your website and YouTube channel up in the show notes and out on Instagram. But I thought they'd really love to hear about this exciting project you're wrapping up. Uh, Yeah, so actually my business partner was the person who was in labor. So I was was dulering her through through Mm -hmm. the birth of her first child. So Rainbow now has two major stakeholders. (laughs) Uh, So we welcome Ngwedi. So Ngwedi means moon in Sisutu. So I call my business partner Mother of the Moon now. (laughs) Ah, Awesome. So, yeah, this is the thing about self-love, right? I did a a mid-season episode where I was just recounting the dividends of self-love for myself. Since having this focus on loving on me and loving myself, I've profited so much, not just in the richness of my relationships with other people, but in my business. Because in my business, funnily enough, is where a lot of my low self-worth, low self-esteem, all those low vibrational things would show up the most was in my business. Because if I'm not seeing myself as worthy, how am I going to then attract this a big client? If I don't see the value that I have to bring to the world, how am I going to reach out for a client that needs my help? When I now started shifting within myself, I became a vibrational match with a global brand, which is Disney. So... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's uh, huge yeah like <laughs> just <laughs> and you did that and that's the thing right is that for I've been in business for 10 years in this spiral of struggle in this spiral of financial trauma in this you know how entrepreneurship goes there's a lot of financial trauma that you deal with within the entrepreneurial space. And for me, it's been 10 years of that, 10 years of not having a stable place to land financially and even career-wise and feeling like I have all these gifts, but I have 
I don't have the platform to share them with people. And so becoming a vibrational match with a brand as big as Disney was a big affirmation to how important this work is of self-love and self-care because people need you. But until you're giving yourself those things that you expect a big client, for example, do, right? You expect that a big client will come in and will tick the box and will say you are worthy. But it, it actually works the other way around. You have to believe you are worthy for the client to come. So we got an email last year saying, hi, guys. We are working on a diversity and inclusion campaign as Disney, and we'd like you guys to pitch for the job. And so we pitched not thinking that we're going to get it because there were other big agencies that were also pitching for this job. You know, Disney was moved by the Black Lives Matter movement, and they didn't just want to be a corporate that says we stand with our employees who are from all over the world, from all over, you know, different cultures and different backgrounds. We want to actually do something that will engage our audience, which is children. And so we came up with My Identity is My Inner Magic campaign, where we give children the agency to tell their story about who they are in this Afrofuturism framework. So we transport these kids into this Afrofuturist pod where there's like Boabab trees and like ancient African hieroglyphs that say love and unity and equality. And then they get to, to basically engage in the creation process while they are tell, telling their story. And for me, this project has been such a huge masterclass in so many ways. We all know about diversity and inclusion, but we had the opportunity to actually practice what inclusion is. Inclusion is creating a space to make a person that usually feels othered welcome. And so one of our 12 children has autism. Originally, we weren't going to include a child with autism within the space because usually a child with autism has a hard time communicating. But then we were challenged with, okay, if we're saying we are for diversity and inclusion and belonging, how can we make the story work in such a way that it includes them? So throw away the script that you had and the, and the story outline that you had and build a new one, even if it's just for including this child, you know, and that was such a beautiful moment for us as a business to be able to really practice what we're preaching within the context of this campaign. Another big aha for us. So we got the job. It was great. And then I was like, okay, we need a visual framework to ground these stories in. And I was really struggling. I was like, oh, Lord, I don't know what to do. And then my guide said Afrofuturism. Like, I know Afrofuturism. I've got Pinterest boards on Pinterest boards on Afrofuturism. <laughs> and God was like, back up, sister. You don't know anything about Afrofuturism. Actually, look it up. And I was like, okay. Like, 
let me look up what Afrofuturism is. And I didn't know that Afrofuturism was started because black bodies, black voices, people of color seemed absent in the future, right? If you watched a sci-fi and if you watched a fantasy film or read the literature, we were not there. And so it was like, oh, so does this mean we're not part of the future? Let us create a movement where we get to decide what the future is. Let us give to our human family an Afrofuturistic way of engaging with the future and spirituality and all these things. And I was like, oh, so it's not just putting a closer woman in the stars. It's much deeper than that. And it actually informed how we, you know, our line of questioning with the kids to give them that opportunity to tell us what do they see in their future? What do they see as the future? You know, in the research, one of the writers in Afrofuturism, sorry, I forget her name, I'm bad, I'm terrible, but she was speaking to some fifth graders about Afrofuturism and it came up that children, and she was speaking to children in the projects, so it came up that children in the projects don't believe that, that they're allowed to comment, influence, talk about the future. Their life is just about surviving. And so giving children the opportunity to comment and mold the future it just opens up their world in such a huge way and we had the opportunity within the campaign to animate so each story is also going to be turned into an animation which then addresses representational justice within the animation space because there's not enough black and brown bodies in animation i mean we see it, I see it as a parent. My child, when she draws some something or someone, she's drawing a blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl because that is what she sees. That is what she is consuming in terms of content. And so to be able to, to color in the landscape with this campaign, with Disney in such a powerful way, yeah, has shifted everything. We're literally repositioning our brand now. We're repositioning ourselves as a business to say we are diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging storytellers. That's that's what we do. If you want to tell or craft a story around that with your employees and your stakeholders in the market, come to Brainbow because that's what we do. We want to love people with storytelling because storytelling is so powerful. I mean, it has a, our brains have a a hormonal response to storytelling. When you hear a story, oxytocin is released in your system. And oxytocin, as we know, is a bonding hormone. It's the hormone that mothers and babies transfer with each other. (laughs) And so if you can infuse that into your storytelling it can fuse love and belonging and seeing each other in you know you can change the world and that's what we want to do that's the gift we want to give people is creating those bridges with storytelling yeah look at you this is amazing and i'm what i want to do is keep in touch with you because i think by the time this airs this campaign will be live and so or parts of it will be 
it sounds like it's multifaceted. So I'd love to provide links for where people can view these things and learn more about it. So let's stay in touch so that they can follow up on that. And I know we're, we're starting to wrap things up now for our hour. And I feel like I could talk to you for another three hours, <laughs> at least, because there's too much, there's so much of you, we can't contain it in an hour. And that's, that's totally okay. Or maybe we'll have to have you come back on at some point in the future, you. if you'd be willing to, yes, bless <laughs> us with your presence once more. But I know you have a a busy life to get back to as well. And I'm so grateful that you were able to take this time today. And thank you to your clients, both your doula clients, your Disney clients for <laughs> allowing us this talk with you. We've learned so, so much. And I I know that listeners are going to be so inspired by your YouTube series, by what's coming out with Disney, with what you're putting out in the world. And I'm going to provide all those links on our website and on the blog, as well as on Instagram, so people can get in touch with you. If you wouldn't mind just telling people your website, I think I do actually have it up here. It's brainbow.co, right? Yeah, that's your, that's, is that right? Yes, it's www.brainbow.co.za. Yeah, .ca. That's right at the end. Okay. And we'll include those in the show notes and on Instagram, as I said. Kule, thank you so much. We're just rebranding. So it's literally, we have a new logo, new website. So yeah, a, a fresh, fantastic season of newness and birthing. Oh, <laughs> so well-deserved. Congratulations. And thank you so much for being here. And listeners, that concludes our talk for today. But you know, there's always exciting new things in the work. So please keep up with us on the website. You can follow along on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, I want to encourage you to keep up with Kule so that you can see what she continues to get up to. And we will share her updates as well. So until next time, please continue to listen closely and expand exponentially because it's always a great time for your mind to be on the mat.